Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay. Join us now as we share and enjoy musings and moments as told by the authors themselves. Our writers today, Sue Wade, William Wiley, Alice Judge, Sue Bliven, Kathy Salzberg, Joe Ewald, and Faith Flaherty. Thank you all for bringing your stories and joining us today, and with us to guide us on our proceedings and readings, Sue Wade. Sue, we've got a great lineup today. Tell us all about it. Yes, we do. Um, the Senior Scribblers at the Franklin Center has a wonderful group of writers, and this is a handful of people that are willing to share their stories with the community, and we hope to continue doing this. We will start today with Faith Flaherty. Excellent. This story happened about a month ago. It is entitled The Rental Car by Faith Flaherty. It was Sunday, and I was bringing a friend to her church. I dropped her off at the handicapped entrance. As she pushed her walker up the ramp, I put the car in reverse and commenced to swing back to turn around. That's when my front bumper hit the church. Yikes, that church came out of nowhere. My car turned out to have $1,800 damaged to the front bumper and a scraped and dented driver's side fender. So my car is in the body shop and I am now driving a rental. Now the story. My experience with the rental is a sad tale. It made me really feel old and out of touch. The rental agency came and picked me up at the auto body shop. Nice and convenient. I was told how to turn the car on and off. All I had to do was step on the brake and push a button. Push a button is how to turn on a car nowadays. Well, it worked to turn the car off, but a few hours later, I couldn't get that button to turn the engine on. I stepped on the brake, then pushed the button. I tried numerous times, and there's no manual in the glove compartment. I gave up and called a rental company to ask what I was doing wrong. The telephone number I was given was an 800 national number. I was on hold for the national corporate office. Then I was on hold for the state office. Finally, I got my local office. I explained the problem and was told not to step on the brake, but to hold the brake down and then press the button. That's how one turns the car on today. I did that and it worked. Now I have to worry that my grandchildren can turn the car on. I know, I know, I couldn't do it, but you know children, they're smart that way. It didn't take me long to notice something else. The windshield wipers wouldn't shut off. I could see the markings on the lever indicating how fast the windshield wipers could wipe. I had the indicator as low as it would go, and the wipers still swiped the window every 20 seconds, and the lever wouldn't turn anymore. I had to telephone again. Again, with the national corporate office, then the state office, and finally the office I needed. This time, I asked for their local number and I wrote it down. By the way, the windshield wiper lever pushes in and out. Who knew? After completing my errands, I received a message on my dashboard that I needed fuel. Luckily, I was near a gas station. I pulled in, as usual, but after I got out and walked around the car, I saw that I didn't have a gas tank. I walked around the car 
there it was on the other side of the car. Back in the car, step on the brake, hold the brake down, push the button. I drove the vehicle around to the other pump. Although I now had the pump on the same side as the gas tank, I couldn't open the damn door <laughs> to insert the nozzle. I tapped the door, I knocked on the door, I whacked the door, then I tried to pry the door open. Back in the car, I called the rental office again. At least I didn't have to jump through the circus hoops to get to the rental office. I called direct. This time I was told there was a lever inside the car under the dashboard, and I didn't have to step on it or hold it down or press a button. All this required was to lift a lever. So a child can start the car, but one needs a degree in engineering design to find the bloody level to open the fuel tank door. $50 lighter, I could now go home. I didn't think I needed anything else. I now got turning the car on and off down pat. I could get fuel in the car. I could turn the windshield wipers on and off. What else would I need? The lights? Nope, I will never, ever drive this car at night. There, problem solved. As I got closer to home, I realized that I was freezing. How do I turn on the heat? I twisted and turned some dials and saw an indicator gauge tell me that I had the heat on 90 degrees. Well, it didn't feel like it. But I was warmer, I think. Maybe the heater just stinks. Do I dare put on the radio? Oh no, I'm having enough trouble putting the heater on. Forget the radio. But I am going to do one more thing. I'm putting the telephone number of the rental agency on my cell phone's speed dial. The end. Very good. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent story. I'm still, after five years, learning how my car works. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer put in the key and turn. I know. So, Sue... Who do we have up next? Okay. Next we have Joe Ewald, who will read his story for us. Joe? Hi. My name is Joe Ewald, and I wrote a piece on Memorial Day. And when I take a look at the calendar and see that Memorial Day is on the horizon, three things form in my mind. My father's birthday, the movie Saving Private Ryan, and the start of the barbecue season. First, my father. Even though my father never served in the military, he was chosen to guard the supply trains that came and went in World War II. The movie Private Ryan showcases the heroism of World War II veterans. And then Memorial Day. Besides Memorial Day being the start of the cookout season, Labor Day being the end, it has a history dating back to the end of the Civil War, when it was originally called Decoration Day. The graves of Civil War soldiers were decorated with flowers and flags by a group of women from Columbus, Missouri, and another group of women from Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania. They honored all the graves, the North as well as the South. People in other towns copy this idea, and that is how Memorial Day began. In 1948, it was made into a national holiday when we all remember and honor 
all fallen soldiers of all our wars, countries. The end. All set. Great story, Joe. Thank you. And uh, also highly appropriate given these times. I think we all have an appreciation for our veterans these days. Sue, who do we have up next? Um, I believe we have Kathy Salzberg, who is next. And um, she usually writes something that's very humorous. So we should enjoy this one. So, Kathy, you're up. This one is called, Well, Shut My Mouth. The other day I complained to my daughter and business partner, Missy, about an employee who was always complaining. Mother, she said, not mama, which is my name when I'm not getting on her last nerve. Don't you realize the irony in this situation? You criticize others for complaining, but you don't seem to realize how much you complain yourself. I can't say I welcome that bit of enlightenment like a flower welcomes the morning sunshine, but the girl did have a point. For me, fetching had become a habit. If I couldn't think of anything to fill a conversational lull, I'd usually pipe up with, isn't this weather terrible? Experts say that such constant carping can be a cry for attention. That might be the case with one of our groomers whose slumping shoulders and pouty puss are really telling me, I'm working too hard and you don't appreciate me. I wonder if feeling sorry for someone can be as satisfying as a pat on the back or a raise. Probably not. Grudgingly, I told Missy that she had made her point, announcing that I would swear off complaining for the next week to see if it would help me face life with a more positive attitude. She gave me a knowing smirk and said she would take me out to Sunday brunch to celebrate my decision. I'm starving, I said as we sat down. The food here is good, but I sure hope the service has improved. She looked at me grimly. Ten minutes later, I started tapping my fingernails on the tabletop. Are we invisible or what? That couple over there got here after we did, and they're already eating their French toast. You're not going to die of starvation, I promise, Missy mumbled. What do you say we start you off with a nice Bloody Mary? When our food finally arrived, it was good. Not the best eggs Benedict I've ever tasted, but not bad, I told her, feeling more positive already. Monday, I went shopping with one of my girlfriends, looking through racks of clothing that must have been designed for Miley Cyrus. Doesn't anyone realize that except for Cher, most women our age don't want to wear little halter tops and low-slung jeans that show off their belly buttons, I sighed. Summoning up every ounce of my courage, I took some bathing suits into the dressing room, but soon I wanted to scream. What woman-hating man designed these closet-sized cubicles with full-length mirrors that show every bump, vein, and blemish? Did he give up his day job making mirrors at the funhouse? No matter how hard I sucked in my tummy, I just didn't have abs like Suzanne Summers. It had to be the lighting. Tuesday at the bank, I stood in line for 25 minutes. In this instance, not whining would have been considered antisocial. 
My bank was recently taken over in a large corporate merger, and it hasn't been pretty. They completely screwed up my account, carped the man in front of me. I've had checks bouncing all over the place. That's nothing, griped the woman in back of me. I just tried to use the ATM machine, and it ate my card. This is just how I wanted to spend my lunch hour, she grumbled, pulling a tuna sandwich out of her purse. (laughs) On Wednesday, I learned that my writing buddies were planning a reunion. I'm looking forward to seeing all of them. Well, almost all. There's this one lady, I'll call her Eleanor, who puts me to sleep every time she reads stories from her childhood, long descriptions of what she wore to church in the architecture of her boarding school. I told the woman hosting the event that I hoped Eleanor wouldn't make it. You know, she said, I have found that kind of negativity brings forth bad karma, Kathy. You're not communicating from your higher self here. When did she turn into Thumper's mother? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. I clammed up, realizing that this self-imposed gag order might mean I'd have to switch to writing romance novels. (laughs) How did that date go with the fellow you met through the personals? My sister asked me on Thursday. He was okay, I replied. But I can't understand how handsome and distinguished with an athletic build translated into ordinary-looking, overly attached to my mom, and wearing a shirt so tight it shows off my love handles. I was tempted to take this further, but suddenly I realized I was complaining again. He had a nice personality, though, I added. Rushing to the supermarket on Friday, I met a longtime client. How are you, she smiled. I've had better days, I began, all set to tell her about my clogged sinuses. But I quickly brought myself up short. Look at those strawberries, I exclaimed. Don't they look scrumptious? I hate to say it, but all this happy talk was starting to give me indigestion. Saturday afternoon was slow at the grooming shop. I was catching up on my reading when a customer asked, Is that a good book? It's about as exciting as watching paint dry, I wanted to tell her, but I sugar-coated it. An interesting take on marriage in the new millennium. She quickly changed the subject. On Sunday, I opened my daughter's fridge to get a cold drink. Oh, my God, I cried. Is this a new branch of the Museum of Science? You've got stuff in here that's fossilized. Whoopsie. I had fallen off the wagon again. I knew I had failed miserably in my attempt to quit complaining, but I didn't feel it was a total loss. It made me more aware of my own shortcomings. Hopefully from now on, I'll be more tolerant of others, I told Missy optimistically. Maybe if you get a lobotomy, she offered. (laughs) Could this be hereditary? That sure sounded like a complaint to me. Very good, Kathy. It's always good to make fun of yourself. <laughs> and, and your adult children. <laughs> Our next reader is Sue Blavin, who usually has an interesting take for on animals. So take it away, Sue. Hi, I'm Sue Blavin, and 
is a story that really happened. I call it Sky, Carl, and the Cannoli. Sky was a five-year-old English Cocker Spaniel, a beautiful black with white on her chest. She was energetic, smart, and very happy. Loved food, any kind of food. Her tail was docked close, about three inches long, and boy, could she wag it. She won a fastest tail wagging contest once. Go Sky. Carl is probably the dearest, most amazing friend a person could have. He's also one of those food-obsessed people. He boarded a horse at my barn, Bubba, and we were all there getting ready for a good day at the barn. Remember Carl's obsession with food? <laughs> well, that morning, he had gone to the North End to get himself two very special cannolis. North End, you know. He had set the box down on his tack trunk in front of his horse's stall and had walked away. Of course, the dogs were loose running around the barn when Skye's very good nose found the cannolis. Before anyone could stop her, she had opened the box, grabbed one, and had sucked it down, with her tail going at warp speed. We all saw her at the same time screaming, Sky, no! Carl came running again at warp speed. Never seen him move so fast and literally tried to reach down Sky's throat and rescue his cannoli. We're laughing so hard. Carl, no, it's gone. Sky's tail was at full throttle and happy, happy, happy. We're laughing so hard. Carl was so mad. Sky was so happy. Good cannoli. <laughs> Even now, years later, we talk about this. Carl still gets mad and we laugh. Sky has left us to go to dog heaven, but I'm sure she still enjoys those cannolis and wags her tail. Thanks. Very good. Yeah. A lesson for all yeah. of us. Don't put food where the dogs can get them. <laughs> My opinion on cannolis. <laughs> there are fresh cannolis, and there are day-old cannolis. And I don't care. I'll take either one. Hi, I'm Alice Judge. Several winters ago, I was walking my dog, and I looked, and I saw something in someone's yard that reminded me of what I had done when I was about 10 years old. And this is a story I will read to you today. It's called The Dollhouse. I was in the second grade when my family moved west of Boston. There was a new house, new school, and new friends. Our house was off a main street, which my father had to travel often to get to where we lived. My mother was always in the passenger seat up front, and my brother and I in the back. Often we would drive by a Victorian house that was white with black trim. It was a larger house than others on the street. There was a large expanse of lawn, and on this yard was a dollhouse. The small dwelling was white with black trim like the bigger house. It had flower boxes on each front window with spring flowers as it was April. There was a mailbox the side of the front door and a mulched garden in the front. Every time I passed the dollhouse, I conjured up images of games, dolls in their carriage. I was sure there was a high chair and cradle for all the many dolls and there would be plenty of stuffed animals. I don't remember when I first hatched the plan in my mind, but every time I looked at that dollhouse, I knew I must see the inside. It wasn't until three years later, when I was 10, 
that I decided to make my move. I don't remember who the friend was that went with me that day. She went along with me, never spoke except to me, but I know how she was as, as excited as I was. The two of us started with houses a distance away, since I didn't want my mother and father to see what I was up to, although to me my mission appeared to be a natural thing to do. My girlfriend and I walked up to houses leading to the main street. It was Saturday. Mostly women answered the door. I would go into my spiel. My family was thinking of moving into the neighborhood, and I wanted to know what her house looked like on the inside. Looking back, I marvel that at every house the owner welcomed these two 10-year-olds into their dwelling. The owners of each house took us seriously and actually told us interesting facts about their house as they took us from room to room. My friend and I went to each house on both sides of the street. Tension was mounting as we got closer to this magical house. At last we were there. I knocked. A burly man came to the door in a T-shirt with a cigar hanging out of his mouth. My spiel was the same. Sure, come in, the man said. We entered a dining room with about six or seven guys, all in T-shirts, playing cards around a big dining room table. They all had cigars hanging out of their mouths with money in front of them. Nobody looked up. The owner of the house told us to look around. I asked if we could take a peek in the smaller house as well. He nodded. I think he would have agreed to anything just to get back to his card game. We hurried through the rooms of the main house. Finally, it was time to see the dollhouse. Both of us walked toward the small cottage, smiles of anticipation flooding our mind. I opened the door and my face fell. In front of me was a furnace and a water tank. There were shelves on both sides of the wall with tools. A lawnmower sat next to a wheelbarrow. The floor had grease on it. Going home, I know I probably didn't say a word. Disappointment filled my soul. My mother did find out about my adventure. I think my friend squealed and her mother called mine. I could see the look of total perplexity on my mother's face as she asked me why I did it. I shrugged my shoulders. What could I say? That outing was a long time ago, but I must tell you, Every time I see a storage shed, I marvel at my 10-year-old bravado and tenacity. What a shock to find your dollhouse was just a shed. I was heartbroken. So our next reader is William Wiley. This poem is about uh, the, the Senior Center. Franklin Senior Center is a great place to be, a nice place to visit, to enjoy, and to see. To keep yourself healthy, a nurse is on hand. Blood pressure and sugar check daily is grand. The gift shop has gifts and bargains galore. The prices are great. You'll love it for sure. Aerobics through Zumba. The activities go on. You'll feel very healthy all morning long. The people who work there are very nice too. Sue, Jennifer, Judy, just to name a few. Paul is the cook. He makes lots of treats. His pancakes are the best. 
They just can't be beat. They call me a name. It's one pancake bill. When your number is called, your order is filled. Friends of mine push me to go to this place. I've made lots of friends. I just rest my case. Breakfast and lunch here. You'll want to eat more. The center is open from 8.30 to 4. So come to the senior center, eat lunch and play games. I'm sure you will like it and be glad you came. That's a wonderful tribute to the senior center. And hopefully more people will come and enjoy the things that we do offer for them. Having brought a bottle to this party myself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) um, I wrote a story about 10 years ago. Excellent. This one's called Snacking on Stars. When preparing to write, I seek that relaxed alpha state where imagination can take wing. The purposeful me strives to get right to the matter of things, square up the desk objects, get ready to get ready, be prepared for that moment when I'm actually ready. It's that puttering ceremony, a stab at mindless surface discipline that inadvertently unleashes some creative flow. It works in a contrary yet contributory way, busying me with rote business that takes no mental effort, leaving all of my thoughts to the other me. The other me is cruising the cosmos as a meandering guest whose attentions are more kindly framed as highly portable. I value a practiced random stroll through the infinite affinities adrift in the ether of imagination's realm where novelty might find me. I start by looking for a quiet corner of the cosmos where I can just sit back, snack on the stars. With practice, you can swirl the whole galaxy around your fork like so much sparkly spaghetti. A dietary note. Stars are all energy, but no calories. Odd. Beats protein drinks hands down. White dwarves can cause a little heartburn. Black holes are filling, but they get chewy and they make your teeth stick together. But I digress. The metrics of writing are also chewy. Who's to say what's good? The grammatically obsessed me keeps trying to strap on an odd-shaped measuring device around each concept. Cosmic me says, hey, you know, you know, you know when you know. The grammarcrat in me hits backspace over adroit turns of phrase that don't quite pass muster in the Chicago Manual of Style, such as not ending a sentence with a preposition. What's that about? My muse mutters over the sacrifice of unique voice to convention. I wrote this in spurts while musing my way along other works. Been here often. I finally took notes. Sometimes you do have to step back a bit from the other things and just let the moment have its say, its way. It allows the more interesting mental flotsam to drift into view along the edge of wherever you're mentally parked. A deliberate musing, daydreaming, a creative life skill. If you regard noshing on stars as a bit of a reach, then consider how we look up toward the heavens to feed the imagination by our aspirations to the stars. In the first light of each new day, taking in the last of the stars is just one way to put some universal fire in the belly of your soul. Very nice. Thank you. Did you say your name? That was very good. And when the muses, you know, are there, mm-hmm. we do look to the stars and to the, the skies and get our imaginations going. Mother Nature is definitely a great inspiration. Mm-hmm. And for our final inspiration, Sue Wade. I'm also going to read a piece about the 4th of July. It's sort of a take on a title. It's the 4th of July in hell. 
Under a bright, cloudless sky, we ate a light breakfast and set off for the parade in the next town. We sat in front of the general store. Yes, small towns in middle America still have general stores. We were facing the post office, a converted one-car garage. The parade started, a police car, a small band, a Boy Scout troop, and early 20th century fire truck, and then the tractors. An old red tractor, a green John Deere tractor, and then the mother load, a tractor with tires six feet tall and a plow as wide as the entire road. Children on bikes with cray paper intertwined in their spokes and streamers trailing from the handlebars rode the length of the parade. Once the last tractor passed and headed back to the farm, we made our way past the craft tables to our car. Now it was time to go to the lake for food. Ribs smoked to falling off the bone. Hot dogs, hamburgers, and sausages were ready for all. There was food to delight everyone, everyone's taste. Three potato salads, two macaroni salads, a large garden salad, corn on the cob, potato chips, and crackers with cheese finished the meal. Everyone enjoyed it. There was kayaking, paddling rowboats, fishing, and a rope swing to jump into the lake. Fun was had by all, all day long. Well fed and tired from the day of fun, we put on our jeans and sweatshirts and boarded the pontoon boats headed for a larger lake. The line of neighbors in pontoon boats gathered and followed each other through the culverts and channels to the largest of the nine lakes. We arrived on the new lake, which was covered with pontoons, some decorated as pirate ships, some as log cabins, and some not decorated at all. We cheered and talked and toasted the day. Chinese lanterns were set afloat, twinkling and blinking out of sight. Darkness fell slowly, as all anticipated the main event. Finally, the sky filled with twinkling lights reflected in the lake. Red, silver, green, blue, and gold shot high and blossomed into glowing fireworks. Fireworks display finished, we all turned for home. Tiny running lights on the backs of each pontoon lined the exodus. The long line slowly shortened as everyone broke off away for their homes. Bundled in blankets and softly talking as not to wake the little ones, we arrived once again to the house on the lake. So ended the 4th of July in Hell, Michigan. Very nice. Not that it was a bad day. It was an excellent day. So, mm -hmm. you know. And we all hope for an excellent day in Hell. Yes. Well, just, well that didn't come out right. but. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've, I've received messages from them on cold winter days, and it's like, well, hell froze over. Uh -huh. <laughs> Sue, I think this is where we declare victory. It was a good session. It really was. And I feel everybody had great stories. Absolutely. And there is more to come. Look forward to all of that. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Our writers today, Sue Wade. William Wiley, Alice Judge, Sue Bliven, Kathy Salzberg, Joe Ewalt, Faith Flaherty, yours truly, Peter J. If you would like to participate in our Senior Story Hour, just call the Senior Center at 508-520-4945. That's 
520-4945. We'd love to have you join us. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour and sharing in today's stories. For all of today's writers, I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them. When you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. <laughs>